Hi, and welcome to Heart to Heart, a podcast about all things heart-related, brought to you by the Physicians of Advanced Cardiovascular Specialists in Shreveport. I'm your host, Susan Curtin, and I'm talking with Dr. Trey Bauckham today. And we usually have a topic, Dr. Bauckham, but today I thought my topic could be you. <laughs> You're <laughs> you so interesting. more interesting than that. No, but, uh, I, I find you endlessly interesting, and well, you always you. do have wonderful stories. So I wanted to sort of put a picture to you as a cardiologist. How did you become a cardiologist? Well, my father was a children's heart specialist, and so I have to admit, I grew up in hospitals. I grew up talking about, you know, heart problems at the dinner table, I feel like, every night of my life. And my dad never really encouraged me to be a doctor. He loved what he did. Oddly enough, my dad, the only thing he really ever encouraged me to be was a writer, which I didn't end up being. But I did go to school as an English major at first and then switched and realized that that's what I wanted to do is become a doctor. I did my initial medical school in New Orleans, and New Orleans has a fantastic infectious disease department, and you see a lot of interesting infectious diseases down there. As a matter of fact, when I was in medical school down there in the 80s, my first patient had malaria. When I was in New Orleans, I saw three patients with tetanus, and the incidence in the United States that year was six patients. So I saw half of the tetanus patients in the country in one year. And so you saw a lot of very interesting stuff. When I went to UAB to do my residency, I thought I was going to continue to do infectious diseases. And they're still fascinating to read about, but to me, sort of boring to do as a day-to-day job. And in Birmingham, they had a tremendous amount of modern cardiology. And that was the first time I'd seen really modern cardiology and just fell in love with it. It was a combination of, you know, intellectual, but there were also a lot of practical things you could do. You could intervene on patients. You could make them feel better. You really felt like you were doing something. Um, So cardiology is probably more boring to read about, but more exciting to actually do as a practice. So that's why I became a cardiologist. Well, I think that's interesting that you were interested in being a writer because you are an avid reader. And I think it might be what makes you so engaging and what uh, enables you to explain things so thoroughly. Well, thank you. How has the therapy changed? What are some of the treatment options over the course of your career that have shifted? That's been one of the funnest things about being a cardiology, particularly with my career. So I've been doing cardiology for 29 years now. And in the course of that 29 or, you know, 34 years, well, all my training, things have changed dramatically. All these things that we do now for heart attacks and congestive heart failure did not exist when I started my training. The clot dissolving medicines, um, actually, when I was in Birmingham, I was involved in the Timmy studies. So when they were introducing clot dissolving medicines, I happened to be there when Gary Rubin um, started using some of the first human stents for coronary arteries. He was one of the inventor of the Gianturco Rubin stent. So I was right on the cutting edge of that. So I saw stents um, developed and start to be deployed in humans. I was there during the first transvenous defibrillator implantation. So defibrillators, which were another giant breakthrough, have been paralleled my career exactly. The changes in congestive heart failure management, also the VHEF study and the SOLVE study, All these studies that changed the way we treated congestive heart failure, it was considered sacrilege to give a beta blocker to someone with congestive heart failure during the beginning of my training, and it's considered, you know, malpractice not to give them one now. So it's changed that much. The invention of all these new medications uh, for congestive heart failure, coronary artery disease, the inventions of, as I mentioned, stents, but then drug-eluting stents, which were an enormous advance, defibrillators and advanced pacemakers, which then went into biventricular defibrillators and pacemakers, 
which can treat people with very severe congestive heart failure and really make them feel better. Cholesterol-lowering medications, and there are finally a couple new ones, and then new anticoagulants. When I started, all we had was Coumadin. Now we have several new anticoagulants for people that have atrial fibrillation. So it's been a fantastic time to be a cardiologist. I mean, it, it really keeps you on your toes. You, you constantly have to study and keep up. And as I've mentioned before, I'm lucky to be in a great group. Advanced cardiovascular specialists are all a bunch of really smart guys. And we have CATH conference. We talk about cases. And they really keep you on your toes because you don't ever want to be someplace and then mention something you haven't heard of. <laughs> so it, and then our two heart surgeons are fantastic, and they keep us up with the newest stuff. And so it's – it's fun. It's um, it's challenging, but it, it makes it rewarding and exciting to do it because it's changing all the time. Well, I imagine it does require a lot of adaptability because heart disease doesn't always fit in a perfect box, right? No, that is so true. Anything ever surprise you? Yeah, over the years, of course, I've seen lots of things that that shocked me and surprised me. And you know, when we were talking about this subject. I do remember it's still etched in my mind. I saw a young woman pretty early in my career, and she was married to someone on the Barksdale Air Force Base, although she wasn't an airman. And she was in her early 30s. I think she was 32, blonde-headed, slight build, very healthy, and just looked like there was no way in the world she had have any kind of disease, much less heart disease. But she said, I'm having chest pain. I'm short of breath. I don't feel good. And I thought, I'm going to put her on the treadmill just to reassure her that there's nothing wrong with her heart. And just a few minutes into the treadmill test, she started to have a massive heart attack. And I took her off the treadmill and basically took her straight to the cath lab and did a heart cath and had to angioplasty her left anterior descending artery, the widow maker. So she had a tightly blocked um, proximal LAD and an otherwise healthy person with normal cholesterol that didn't smoke, didn't have high blood pressure, and took care of herself. And that taught me then that you can never completely trust any prejudgment. You, you have to assess every patient. You have to take what they complain about seriously. Um, you, you have to listen to them and be open to the fact that they might indeed have a lethal illness, even though when they walk through the door, you're thinking, oh, there's nothing wrong with this person. It speaks to our conversation earlier about how it doesn't discriminate. You can be young and have severe heart problems. It's so true. Although it's rare, uh, like I said, it has to be taken seriously. And Another interesting story is on the other end of the spectrum, this woman who I'd known many years, and of course, you know, she knew my family, and she came to see me as a patient, and of course, she called me by my first name since she knew me. She said, well, Trey, I'm just having spells, and that's the last thing you want a patient to say is spells, and I would say, well, ma'am, I said, can you, can you tell more about those spells? She's like, well, no, honey, they're just spells, and I said, well, how often are you having? She goes, pretty often, <laughs> and I'm you know, are they getting worse? Well, I don't really know. And I mean, they're just little spells I'm having. I don't think it's anything. And so I'm sort of stalling, trying to think, how am I going to figure out what this spell is? And she's, you know, on the table and I'm about to examine her. And so I get my stethoscope and I put it on her chest and I don't hear anything. So I assume my stethoscope's turned backwards. So I check my stethoscope. No, it's right. I put it down on her chest again. I don't hear anything. And I look up just in time to see her eyes rolling back in her head. I reach down and grab her wrist. She doesn't have a pulse. And I'm really starting to panic. This woman is dying right in front of me. And with that, I feel the first faint pulse in her wrist. And then she takes a deep breath. And she goes, well, now that was one. That's a spell. And so she was having intermittent complete heart block and needed an emergency pacemaker. And so once again, if you listen carefully, the patient is often trying to tell you what's wrong with them 
But I was very surprised when I went to listen to her heart and it had stopped in the meantime. Wow, that is amazing. Do you have any stories about young patients who seem to be doing everything right, but they still have issues with their heart? Unfortunately, I haven't. It, it seems like there's been a rash of that now. And I don't know if it's just my age or something else in society, but I've seen a lot of people that really do uh, take excellent care of themselves. Um, a lot of them are athletes. And then all of a sudden they come in saying, you know, something's wrong. I, I can't, you know, do what I used to. And we cath them or do tests and they've got severe disease. And then some of them come in basically saying, I don't think there's anything wrong with me, but, you know, I just want to get checked anyway. And I, I had one the other day, really a healthy looking person, and, but their screening tests were abnormal. And sure enough, they had fairly advanced coronary artery disease. And so... It does sneak up on people even when they're doing everything they should. I don't want to discourage people because I think you could safely say that if those people have been taking care of themselves, they may not have made it this long. So it's still worth doing all the things you can, but even that is not a guarantee that you won't develop heart disease and you still need to be screened. You still need to see a cardiologist. Um, you know, you still need to take care of yourself. Well, we've been under a great deal of stress over the past five years. Could that have... It does make you wonder. I mean, something does seem like it's going on. And like I've mentioned in a couple of other podcasts, I've, I've really gotten to where I don't like junk food at all. I think junk food is evil and we should none of us <laughs> should eat it. Um and there may be other things going on. There's certainly, as we've talked about before, the cumulative level of anxiety in society is higher now than it was a few years ago. And I, I hate that, um, but I think it's a real thing. And it always seems like something's happening on the news that adds to that. And so I don't think that's good for your health. So you probably do need, on top of everything else we do, to find some way to let go of that. If you meditate or take a long walk, you're killing two birds with one stone you know, hug your kids, spend time with your spouse, but you need to do something and let go of the stress of your life um, because that will help you. Do you have one takeaway about being a cardiologist that you could share? I, I, I still enjoy it, I have to say. I mean, I, after, even after all this time, particularly when you do something, when you genuinely help someone. I mean, you can just tell that, you know, they were not doing well and they're doing better now. I had someone the other day come in I'd never seen him before. My mid-level was in the emergency room, and nothing scares her. And she called me saying, you need to run to get here. So I got there, and this patient, um, we knew had a pretty bad heart, but he'd been doing okay, and all of a sudden he was going downhill fast. He was having basically cardiogenic shock. His mitral valve was leaking severely. His heart was very weak. His heart kept going dangerously out of rhythm. We had to shock him a couple of times. We had to make a decision just within minutes about what to do. And so we took him in and put an impel in, which we've talked about before, but it's a temporary artificial heart. And it rescued him long enough, long enough for us to get him to Baylor. And he now has a more durable artificial heart. And so hopefully he's going to make a full recovery. But that was someone that, at least temporarily, we headed off what was inevitably going to be his death. And you know, things like that are rewarding. It's rewarding when someone passes out and you cure them for passing out. I see people I've been treating for 20 years for syncope and they haven't had an episode in years and that's very rewarding. So a lot of it is very rewarding and it's also very humbling. You know, just when you think, you know, boy, I'm perfect. I'm never going to make a mistake. Something bad happens or, you know, people don't all have good outcomes. And so it's very self-humbling also. I guess my takeaway is I'm still enjoying it after all these years. Well, thank goodness, because you're in our community and uh, we get help from you. So we certainly appreciate it. Thank you. For more information, go to acsdoctors.com. Thank you.